Thanks for listening to the Downtown Community Church Podcast. My name is William and I'm the Executive Director here at DCC. DCC is located in downtown Tallahassee and our heart is to reach the city through loving God, making disciples, and being great neighbors. We recently launched a new building campaign called Building Opportunities. Over the years, we've seen God do some incredible things and we're excited about this next step we're taking as a church. To learn more about the building campaign and to see how you can be a part, visit downtowncommunitychurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoy this week's sermon. If you're brand new here, I want to say uh, this is a great Sunday for you to be here. And the reason why is no matter where you are in terms of your relationship with God or, frankly, your interest in Jesus... Today is a day that we're going to talk about a story that you have all heard of. Basically, if you've ever driven by a church, whether you have gone to a church one time or a thousand times, many of us, in fact, probably all of us have heard of the story of Jonah and the great fish or the whale, as many of us know and have heard about. And what's interesting about Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the great fish, and I'm just going to say Jonah and the whale because I just, you know, a lot of the people who are are here this morning, you're like, man, that's just biblically um, very, very inaccurate of you. And I would say, yeah, grow up. Um, because we, you know, whatever. So the whale, the big fish, you know, whatever happened, you know, Jonah gets swallowed by it, and we aren't quite at that point. In fact, that's going to come at the very end of where we are today. But what's interesting about the story of Jonah is, again, no matter where you are in your relationship with God or your interest of God, we can identify with what Jonah is going through. In fact, whether you think Jonah was a historical event or whether you think it was just a, a story to give an example of or to show us some ideas, we can all identify with what happens in the story of Jonah. In fact, the story of Jonah is a story of a guy who rebelled and basically went against what God wanted him to, but for good reason. Now, the reason I say that is because for many of us, as we look into the story of Jonah, we look into it starting off with a preconceived set of ideas about what happens in the book of Jonah. But God talks to Jonah in verse 1 and says, Jonah, I want you to go to this place called Nineveh. Now, pause. This was not the first time that God had called Jonah to go to a place. Jonah already knew God well. Jonah was a prophet of God, which meant that Jonah had understood the Lord, listened to the Lord, been obedient to the Lord, had prophesied to some of the kings of the northern kingdom in his day, in his age, and had been successful. So this wasn't someone brand new who doesn't know God. This is someone who had walked with God for a long time and been obedient to God for a while. And God says to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And in going to Nineveh, Jonah faced a very perplexing problem. Because Nineveh was the capital of what many of us have read throughout history of Assyria. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the the Ninevites or the Assyrians were known for being incredibly, incredibly cruel. Very just barbaric in how they dealt with anybody and everybody. In fact, this meant... For Jonah, that Jonah was to go to their enemy, in fact, the most powerful country, the most powerful city of the most powerful country, and basically go and say, you're wrong. Now, what would you do? (laughs) For a lot of us, it's like, man, if God, you know, you, you feel pressing on your heart that God says, you know, man, I really want you to go. There's somebody in the cubicle next to you at work, and you should go talk to him about me. We're like, oh, I don't know, you know. There's a promotion coming up, but I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what I'm going to say. Or i got a roommate who's going through some stuff, and perhaps I should minister to him. But, but I don't know, because they might think I'm a weirdo. They might think I'm a fanatic. We face, we face water cooler temptations 
Water cooler rebellion from God. Jonah, this was basically, this was the equivalent if ISIS if was, was extraordinary, extraordinarily powerful compared to where they are now. And they were the world superpower. And God called you to go to Syria and say, hey, I want you to prophesy. <laughs> we're sitting there thinking, well, I don't know if I'd sacrifice a raise for obedience, let alone that. But what's interesting is Jonah's actually apprehension isn't the fact that he might be bodily harmed. It might, it's not that he might face persecution, as he talks about in chapter 4, which we're going to read about in a couple of weeks. It's that Jonah realized that God was a loving God. Jonah realized that God was a God who is slow to anger and quick to mercy, slow to anger and quick to love. And Jonah knew that if he went and he prophesied, there was a really strong chance that God would forgive them. And Jonah didn't think the Ninevites were worthy of God's love. Jonah's sin was a sin of racism. It was a sin of ethnocentric view. That he didn't think that they were valuable enough, worthy enough for the love and mercy of God. So what happens is what's interesting in Jonah chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, and we talked about this last week, is verse 2, Jonah rebels. In fact, we're going to read it just as a real quick recap. Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, call out against them for their evil, has come up before me, verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish. So he runs, he rebels. At the end of, or the middle of verse 3, it says this, from the presence of the Lord. Now this is huge. This is huge to get us to where we're going to go, where we're going to go today. Jonah, in his rebellion, rejects God. Here's what's significant. In all of us, when we rebel against God, there is a natural rejection of God. When we rebel against God, there is a natural rejection of God. This is why it's really difficult to be in some type of a cyclical pattern of sin and still have a quiet time. The way that one of my favorite pastors, Reg, we talked about this last week, said it, is this. Either your Bible will keep you away from sin or sin will keep you away from the Bible. Because when we are involved in cyclical patterns of sin, the natural cause or the natural end of our rebellion from God is a rejection from the presence of God. This is why it's so tough to pray the day after. You did something that you knew you shouldn't have done, that you promised God that you would never, ever do again. And so a storm comes. And as the storm just grows and grows and grows and everyone is fighting and everyone's praying to their own different gods. Jonah is asleep, not even paying attention. Or perhaps in hiding from what he knows is the storm that God has caused. Now, when we were in our community group last week, we had a really good discussion. It was interesting because we always like to look at the thought processes behind the storm. Why is the storm here? And let me just tell you, as Christians, we are absolutely terrible at interpreting storms, right? We're awful at it. This is like, you know, for half of us, you look at like when Katrina hit and you're like, that's God's judgment on the city of New Orleans and its sin. It's like, maybe, but why is Las Vegas still there? You know, that doesn't even make sense. Or, I'm telling you, we're bad at this. Or, you know, something happens and we don't even think that God intervenes in the world anymore. For some of us, we look at it and say, well, that is to say that only storms happen because of our rebellion. When Jesus clearly says that even those that he loves, he prunes. So storms happen regardless in life. And our part, let me just kind of be clear about this. We focus more on the storm when we ought to be focusing more on the rebellion and the rejection. So inside of this, as you're looking and as you're reading the storm, you're thinking, what's the storm that's going on in my life? The storm was simply an intervention from God to grab the attention of Jonah, to bring him to the awareness of his rebellion and his rejection and his need for the presence of God in his life. In other words, 
for all of us, there are places and there are spaces in our life where we have rebelled and rejected the presence of God. Whether it's reject, reject the presence of God in our family, we reject the presence of God in our work, we reject the presence of God as devil's talking, we reject the presence of God all the time in our finances, we reject the presence of God through the act of rebellion. And so what I want to get us to today is what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Because we all have done it. This is not like, okay, you're a Christian and you've done this. You're not a Christian and you're on the, you know, the fence of Christianity trying to figure out whether you believe, whether you do or don't believe, or do or don't think. This is for all of us. We have all been at the point in our life where if there even is a God, we have done what we know God doesn't want us to do. We have gone against what God wanted us to do, against what God wants us to think. And as Christians especially, what do you do with that? In fact, how do you respond to the rejection that you have caused or the rejection that you have spaced between you and God? Not that there is a space. Because there's nothing we can do to outrun the presence of God in our life, as we're going to see. And Jonah, but what do you do with that? When you get to the point where you realize You have rebelled. There's an area of life. Again, relationships. Perhaps it's in purity. Perhaps it's in your self-centered nature. That you don't really focus on others. You focus on others to the the degree that it benefits you. We're all guilty of this. Now, I'm going to take you through and we're going to walk together through this story as a couple things happen to Jonah that we normally do. And we're going to see what eventually is the kind of the cure for this. Verse 7. Now this is everything's going nuts and they come and get Jonah and they say, wake up, pray to your God, perhaps he'll have mercy. In verse 7. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. Now, when they cast lots, um, we kind of view it as casting straws, which it might have been, or it might have been something where they, some people, some you know, scholars think it's because they threw rocks in this one particular rock, or if all the rocks went in one direction, but a different rock went in another direction. This was like basically a glorified spin the bottle, you know? So who's responsible? Who's going to make out? You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. And so, <laughs> sorry. So when they did this, um, it came on Jonah. And Jonah is the one who they looked to. Verse 8. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us. Now this is funny because you've got to imagine. We view this as like they're sitting down having coffee. And they're you know, having this intricate, you know, deep conversation. And so Jonah, tell us about your life. What did you do? Now, hurricane happening outside. Think Forrest Gump, Lieutenant Dan, ships going crazy. For those of you guys who remember back. You know, anyways, so... Stuff's going nuts, and all of a sudden, they're looking at Jonah saying, Jonah, what did you do? So this is probably a screaming conversation. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where did you come from? What country and what people are you? In other words, Jonah, we don't even know the right question to ask, so just tell us everything. Like, what's your job? What's your major? What, you know, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Like, Jonah, what did you do wrong to get you and to get us in this position. Now, pause. This isn't really furthering the point of the sermon, but it's just interesting and significant to note this, that Jonah rebel- Jonah's rebellion caused immediate implications in danger for the people around them. Jonah's rebellion, Jonah's rebellion against God caused danger, caused hurt, caused suffering for the people around them. Now, let me just tell you, this is something as Christians especially, we don't like to talk about 
We love to talk about how our obedience blesses people. We don't like to talk about how our disobedience oftentimes causes pain and suffering. But we have all been through pain and suffering that was caused by somebody else's disobedience. We have all been through where someone close to us, perhaps it was our parents, perhaps it was our brother, our sister, perhaps it was a best friend, perhaps it was a church leader. And their disobedience caused pain and suffering. And sometimes it's very direct, sometimes it's indirect. But for all of us, the sailors are looking at it saying, Jonah, what did you do? Now, the response in this is a little bit coded. Because in verse 9, Jonah says to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord of God in heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now pause. What's not written here is the rest of his response. And we know that Jonah gave a more um, full response as to everything that had happened because of how he defines that in, in a couple verses from now. But Jonah basically says, starts out and says, so here's who I am, here's what I've done. Continuing on. Verse 10, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? Now, This wasn't them saying, so what did you do? Tell us more. In that, this is a little snippet that basically would be a longer exposition of Jonah saying, God called me, God called me, I ran, the storm's here because I ran, the storm's here because I ran. Because the writer of this basically hashes that out when he says this, For the men knew that the fleeing from the presence of the Lord, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. In other words, them saying, what did you do? Isn't like, man, tell us more. We want to know. The, 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 the tell us, you know, what did you do? Is like, you did what? You ran what? We're going through this because you did what? Now, here is why that is so significant. Jonah confesses what he did. Jonah confesses what he did. Jonah tells them, this is what I've done. So you know, this is who I am, this is where I'm from, this is my background, and this is what I have done. Now let me tell you why that is so important to know. Because for many of us, we think simply confessing is repenting. We think simply confessing is repenting. We think when we simply tell somebody that he is, that is the equivalent of saying, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again, and turning away from. You see, here's what's interesting. Here's what we've all experienced. For those of you, especially if you're a Christian, especially, come on, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know this probably better than anybody else. You can confess and not repent and feel better because you now have this thing that was in secret, not in secret anymore. Isn't that true? That we can confess and not actually repent. We can say, and because it's been a secret to us, because it's been weighing on us, because we've been living in isolation with whatever that secret is, with whatever that rebellion is in our life. Isn't it true? That you can confess something, that I can confess something, that we can confess something, and not actually change. But feel better. Because now somebody else knows what we know. And what we've been carrying. So this is what happens next. Verse 11. So then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, 
Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. Now, part number two about this. Jonah confesses, and he knows what to do. Jonah confesses what he has done wrong and knows what he has to do to make the situation right. Jonah, now let me talk about this for a second. The idea of repentance is not simply that you and I would confess, but that we would actually turn from what we were doing and live in this new life. This is why when Jesus would talk to people um, when he was walking and talking, he wouldn't say, I want you to confess your sins and live holy. He would say, repent. And sin no more. I want you to, you were walking in this way. You were walking in this sense of rebellion towards God. Now, the spiritual response is to the realization of your sin. The realization of my sin is to walk in a different way. Now, this doesn't mean that that is what's necessary for salvation. Because again, Jonah knew God. Salvation is free. Salvation for us is the realization that Jesus Christ came, died on the cross, that we in and of ourselves are not good enough, that we are sinfully corrupt. We are unholy as people. And God saw that. God knew that there was no way we could, we could basically work our way into his good graces and saw us, died for us, created a way forgiving us of all of our sins, of all of our trespasses, of all of our transgressions, and gave us a newness of life. And as God followers... The call is to walk in holiness and obedience, not because we have to, but because we get to. Because out of relational compassion, out of relational capacity, we now have a relationship with our Heavenly Father that compels us to live a life of holiness. But from time to time in that holiness, we walk in unholiness. And the Bible speaks of this over and over and over and over again. And oftentimes for us, especially as Christians... What we do is when we recognize unholiness in our our life, when we recognize rebellion in our life, we confess. In fact, for many of us, let's be honest, it takes a while to get to confession because we don't want to admit that we're not perfect. So we confess, and we've got a plan. We confess, and we know what to do. We confess, and we know, okay, if I am struggling in this area, then I know how to, I know the process to, I know the people to talk to. I know the things to do. Shout out to the train. <laughs> to turn the other way and to turn the other cheek. And so Jonah says, okay, let me tell you what to do. Get me and throw me into the sea. Get me and throw me into the sea. Now, this was going to cause some pain for Jonah, obviously. Jonah had no clue, no clue there was a fish coming for him. What Jonah knew is this is what God would have him to do, to turn from this sin, to turn from this rebellion. What's fascinating is the sailors did what most of us do. They said, okay, I see that way, but let me try to find an easier route. I see that way, but let me try to find a less costly way to repent, to turn from. Let me see if there's another way to do this that's safer and easier, and less costly. He says, pick me up, hurl me into the sea. The sea will quiet down for you, for I notice because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Verse 13, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord. 
Therefore, they realized, okay, maybe we got to throw this guy in. But there's a guy who ran, and we're about to kill that guy. If we do this, if he just ran and we kill a man, what's God going to do to us? So they said to him, oh, Lord, let us not perish from this man's life or for this man's life. And lay not on us the innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Now here's something that we kind of lose in the detail of this. This This is so extraordinary. One of the things that Jonah didn't do, one of the things that Jonah realized is for full repentance... There had to be obedience from the sailors as well. You see, what's interesting is Jonah sees this sea. He knows the way to repentance. He knows the way to mercy. He knows the way out of the judgment, out of the storm, is to go through this one path. And Jonah realizes it's for him to go in the ocean. But notice that Jonah never jumps into the ocean. They didn't have, like, walls on this thing where nobody could jump overboard. This isn't like the 2017 we send our kids to walk down the street in safety helmets, you know. They, Jonah could have jumped in, but he realized, and there's there's such extraordinary imagery along the idea of Jesus who is personified in the person of Jonah, how Jesus was nailed to the cross, Jesus was taken, Jesus was put there, Jesus was in the grave just as Jonah was in the whale or the big fish, whatever, for three days. Now, here's what's significant about that. Oftentimes, you know, and I know exactly what God would have us to do to turn from our life of rebellion. And we have a plan, and we know exactly what happens. And in this moment, Jonah, all of a sudden, the prophet Jonah starts to return back, starts to come to his senses, and becomes acutely aware that he can't simply have confession and a plan. And at this point, is the point of repentance and the story of Jonah. As Jonah doesn't even jump into the ocean himself, but has the sailors throw him in. And of course, God's got a much greater plan, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. Now let me pause and say this. If you're in here, you're kind of skeptical, and, man, I don't know. I mean, come on, a guy being swallowed by a fish, that's kind of outrageous. One, I want to say I, just, I understand that. Um, but two, I would also say this. That's like the least crazy thing that we believe, okay? Just saying. We believe a guy, not like some weird Casper, a guy died, was dead for three days. Not just dead, was dead and embalmed. And for three days was in a cave or was in basically what they would call just a glorified grave. And he came back from the dead. Now, a fish is kind of (laughs) crazy. But if you believe a guy came back from the dead after three days, you can believe a guy was swallowed by a fish. Just, just letting you know. Just let, that's why, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to make light and say, oh, well, the Bible proves the Bible, so you don't, should believe whatever. What I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to use circulation. I'm just telling you. We believe a guy rose from the dead, and we don't just believe because the Bible says so. We believe because multiple authors on multiple accounts, on multiple documents, stood, talked about it, were eyewitnesses to it. It's a whole other sermon for another day. But let me just tell you. What we do believe, and what you, whether you believe that or not, can also identify with, is that oftentimes, 
when we are in rebellion against God, when we are rebellion against whatever, there is a God-ordained intervention that brings us to repentance and salvation. The fish was not God's judgment. The fish was God's salvation. The fish was God saying, Jonah, I care about you. I have a purpose for you. I know that you have been in rebellion. And I want you to know that I so deeply care about you and the Ninevites that I want you to continue on the mission that I have given you. Here's what's another thing that's just is, is extraordinary about this story is that when God first called Jonah, when God first called Jonah, Jonah wasn't prepared to go to Nineveh because Jonah didn't fully understand the grace of God that extended to the Ninevites. Jonah understood the grace of God that extended to the Israelites, but not to the Ninevites. And it wasn't until the storm that Jonah realized. It wasn't until the path that God had him on. It wasn't until the intervention. It wasn't until the salvation of the fish that Jonah understood the grace of God and the need for the presence of God so deeply in light and in spite of rebellion that he was then qualified to go to Nineveh to preach salvation. Which means... In light of his rebellion, God used his rebellion, used the storm, used the intervention, and used the salvation to prepare Jonah for what God had next for Jonah. Which means, and this is extraordinary, perhaps you're in a season of rebellion right now. And you think that there's no good that can come from your rebellion. You think it is absolutely impossible because of what you're in the middle of, what you've done, what you are currently walking into, or perhaps starting to try to kind of walk out of your, starting to come to your senses. There's a storm. There's an intervention. Some people sat down. Some friends sat down. Some parents sat down and said, we care about you. We're concerned about you. And there's this sense of guilt. And there's this sense of shame because you knew better. And in fact, you confessed that you knew better. And in fact, you had a plan to how to make it better. But perhaps what's keeping you this morning away from repentance, away from turning to God, is the shame and the guilt that perhaps you're like Jonah, that you have outrun the love of God. Little did you know, perhaps God is using this. God is using this season to prepare you to humble you and to humble me for the work that he has to do. But for us as a group of people, let me just tell you, we have got to get to the point where we move from from confession to rebellion. Past confession, not to rebellion, I'm sorry. That'd be interesting. Well, sometimes that's what we do. You know, we confess and we rebel more. But from confession to repentance. From confession to repentance. From confession to repentance. Again, we all the time talk, say, this is my thing, this is my deal, I'm so sorry, I never want to do it again. We confess to God in prayer. And and throughout throughout all of the scriptures in the New Testament and the Old Testament, God says stuff like, man, I require mercy. What I want is mercy, not sacrifice. I don't want you to just say I'm sorry on the back end. I want you to get it on the front end. I want you to move from, I'm just going to appease God by going to church. I'm going to appease God because I know I'm in rebellion by perhaps, you know, going to a group or perhaps serving a little bit. I'm going to appease God through all these different ways. And I I am going to move into 
full-on repentance, that, God, I am going to leave my life of sin and walk in holiness. Now, pause. If you are in here and you aren't a Christian, isn't this exactly what you wish Christians would do? Isn't this part of your problem and part of why you're so incredibly skeptical? Because you see Christians who are sinful, and you see Christians who acknowledge the fact that they're sinful, but never change. You see Christians who live in rebellion to God. And in light of that rebellion, acknowledge the fact that they're sinful and they have rebelled. And nonetheless, never actually move to living a life of holiness. Maybe for you, you're in here, you're not a Christian, but you're considering it. Because for the first time, perhaps ever, you met a Christian who perhaps for the first time ever, you saw someone who knew that they weren't perfect, repented of it, and moved in a direction of holiness. So let me ask a couple questions as we're about to close. Number one, are you in a season of rebellion? Perhaps it's a small area, perhaps it's a total life rebellion. Are you in a season of rebellion against God? In an area or in an entire place in your life? And if it is, let me just tell you, there's not condemnation from anyone here in that. There is simply identification that we all have been through that. All, some, all of us probably in some way, shape, or form are in that right now. But the goal of that if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, it's not simply that we would confess. That we would confess, and that confession would not simply be accompanied by a plan, but that plan would manifest itself in our life. That we would be so compelled to live for God that our lives would glorify Him in our holiness. So let me ask you this. If you know that you're living, if you know that you're currently living in some type of rebellion, is it possible that you might have even confessed? But the next step for you is to move past confession into repentance. That is so easy to say, but so extremely difficult to live. That is so easy to say, but that is so difficult to live. Let me kind of tell you the good news on the back end. You have a God, and I have a God. A heavenly Father who so deeply loves us. He saw our sin and our rebellion before we even sinned and rebelled. And gave his son to die for us anyway. To say, I'm going to die, I'm going to make right, in light of their sinfulness, in light of their rebellion. In fact, once they have accepted me, in light of their continual rebellion against me, I am going to send my son to die for them. That you and I have a heavenly father who so loves us inexplicably loves us 
Because it's not like we're good enough to we're like, oh yeah, of course God loves you. No, this is this is ridiculous that God loves us the way he does. He loves us so much he would be willing to give Jesus for us. He would be willing to give Jesus for sinful me. That is crazy. And that compels me out of my life in rebellion to live for him. Out of my life of just simply confessing to live for him. He has invited us into the story of his redemption of mankind here on planet Earth. He has given me a gift. He has given me a passion. He has given you a gift. He has given you a passion. He has given you something to do extraordinary for the kingdom of God. One of our core beliefs here is we believe that every single person is uniquely gifted and wired to make an extraordinary impact for the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean everybody's going to start a mega church. What that means is that everybody has a gift that they are extraordinary. God has given you something that you are better than everybody else at or better than most people at and God has called you to leverage that for the kingdom of God and so don't you dare waste that because of the fact that you feel shame and guilt for your rebellion because that is the exact reason Jesus died on the cross move from confession to repentance into a life of holiness where God uses you, leverages you, works with you not that we'll ever be perfect but that our lives are used for his kingdom and his glory. And don't you dare miss that because you feel shame and guilt over your sinfulness because that is the exact reason Jesus came to the earth. So do not, do not miss that. Your life is too important. Your ministry is too important. Your gifting is too important. You have the power of the Holy Spirit living and moving and breathing inside of you, empowering you do something extraordinary for the kingdom of God. Don't let shame in the misconception of confession steal that from you. If you're in here, you're not a Christian. Here's my prayer for you. That you would meet somebody like that. You would talk to somebody like that. And that would be radically different as you experience someone who daily experiences the radical love of our heavenly 